together in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter number one, uh, just for a brief passage. Uh, you should also see there on the sermon notes page that uh, is in that little bulletin tonight, uh, a couple of other passages that I'll mention throughout, uh, and then I'll, there's also some uh, confessions of the historic Christian faith. Uh, and just a note there, as uh, the Belgian Confession, that right column, it speaks of God here as we've been seeing him, as we've been meditating upon him, uh, as this simple, uh, uh, a single, simple, spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible. That's what we want to think about tonight, God's invisibility. So in the Gospel of John, uh, at uh, chapter 1, verse number, uh, let's look at verse 14, when it tells us, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So notice there that the, the word has become flesh, lived amongst us, uh, tabernacled amongst us, and that the, the apostles saw the glory of God. And then in verse 18 you read this, no one has ever seen God. Notice the, the contrast there. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, speaking here of the Word or the Son, He has made Him known. Let's pray together. Our great and our gracious God, we come to you tonight to uh, think about you and to hear your voice. Uh, encourage us, we pray. Uh, fill our minds with your truth and, uh, Lord, our hearts with your love. Uh, move our hands and feet to go out to serve. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would use us in the world in which we live uh, to bear witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us now, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Uh, well, C.H. Spurgeon, that great preacher uh, in London in the 19th century, said, Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity, that is God. Uh, this is so important for us today, to know God, to know who he is. Uh, we live in a time in which, uh, as, as we all know, we all experience, we feel in ourselves that, that uh, the knowledge of the Christian faith and the knowledge of who God really is, uh, is uh, a mile wide and an inch deep, as uh, Packer once said. Is it any wonder it's like this? Not to bash the Christian church, but is it any wonder when we open up our mailbox, usually every Christmas, every Easter or so, and we get those mailers from churches, God has been domesticated. God's been tamed. God's been turned into an idol for our own personal journey, our self-fulfillment, reaching our own potential. We want to know who God is as he reveals himself to us in his word to enlarge our intellect, our minds, magnify our souls, and give us this great and earnest understanding of the God that we trust, the God that loves us. What is he like? Who is he? Why should I trust him? Why should others trust him too? We're not here to lament, though. We're here to learn. So let's put our thinking caps on as we want to think tonight about God, and as we have our finite heads stretched by the infinite God, as our downcast hearts are lifted up with thoughts of God's majesty, our hands will move to bring him praise. 
And so as we meditate upon God tonight and who he is, what he's like, why we should trust him, uh, I want to think about his being invisible, his invisibility. And notice there on the outline, just two quick points, uh, just like last Sunday night, I want us to think quickly about what that means that God is invisible, and then why is it so important for us to believe this? What does it mean that God is invisible? Kids, I, if I ask you what does it mean that God's invisible, you probably can answer that really quickly, couldn't you? Can you see God? Can you see God? So we call that, so God's invisible, right? You can't see him. Um, there was an old cartoon when I was a kid, and uh, I think it was Popeye, and uh, Popeye took uh, this special uh, eraser, and he could make himself invisible, and so he erased himself on the, on the cartoon screen, and he walked around invisible, and on the screen, all you could see was kind of like, a, like an outline, like, like a halo. Uh, no one else could see him, right? So that's what it means to be invisible. He's, he's not seen, right, with our naked eye, with our human eyes. God's invisible. Why? Why is God invisible? Well, because he's God. First of all, we want to say, because he's God. Uh, to be invisible, it means, that, of course, he, that he can't be seen. And, and we see that here in our, in our passage where, where John just tells us like it is. No one's ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. And so we talk about God being invisible. Sometimes uh, theologians speak of his invisibility as his incorporeality, meaning he doesn't have a body. He's bodyless. And we learn that both in the Old and New Testaments. No one has ever seen God. When God spoke to Moses out in the wilderness and through Moses to all the Israelites, he, he reminded them in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he said, You saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. So they saw clouds, and they saw lightning strikes, they saw or they heard thunder, they saw fire, they felt the earthquake, all their senses experienced who God was, but yet they didn't see God. You saw no form, Moses said. Again, the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament that uh, we serve, quote, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, he does not die, who dwells in unapproachable light. And then he says this, whom no one has ever seen, or, he says something else, or can see. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's not just that no one's ever seen God because he, maybe he's hidden himself really well. Maybe people had blinders on they, and, they, and they just couldn't see him. Or maybe only a certain worthy person or two in the, human, the whole human race would finish their lifelong journey and then God would let them see him. No, Paul says, not only has no one ever seen him, no one can see him. No one can see him. And so we sing one of our hymns. Uh, well, I think we'll sing it tonight, if I remember right. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. No one's ever seen him. No one can see him. Why not? Kids, why can't we see God? Why can't we see God? He is a spirit. Amen to that. that. That's what I wrote down in my notes. 
Who said that, Emmanuel? Is that you, Emmanuel? Did you sneak in my notes? Did you go to my office today and look at my notes? <laughs> He's a spirit. He's a spirit, right? And Jesus says that in John chapter 4. God is spirit. God is spirit. That means that, again, he's, he's, he's immaterial. He's bodyless. He's different than us. He's different than the whole universe that he's made. Everything that exists has materiality and, and can be seen or sensed in some way. But God's not that way. Whatever God is, the universe isn't. Whatever we are, God's not. So God is invisible. Part of the answer to all these kind of questions, you know, why is God invisible? Why is God immortal? Why is God eternal? Why is God infinite? And so forth. The answer is because he's God. The answer is that he's God and we're not. He's different than us. He's not like us. We're not like him. We're made in his image, but we're not of the same substance, the same essence. But there's kind of a problem, isn't there? I read, I read for us from John's Gospel there where he says that the Word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, ta- literally tabernacled amongst us. We've seen his glory. And there is quoting there from, from Exodus 34 where Moses saw the glory of God in the cleft of the rock. So we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yet he says in verse 18, no one has seen God. So... The problem is that the Bible says that people have actually seen him. So what gives? Is Moses wrong? Was Paul wrong? Was Jesus wrong? Who's right? For example, we read in Genesis 16, we saw this many moons ago in our Genesis sermons, uh, that Hagar spoke of the Lord saying, You are a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And again, uh, Moses there in Deuteronomy 4 said, you didn't see any form on the mountain, the mountain of God. But yet we read in Exodus 24 verse 10 that the elders of Israel saw the God of Israel. And the Lord spoke, uh, 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 he, he spoke to Moses about his face, his presence. He said, you cannot see my face. And then he said, for man shall not see me and live. The prophet Isaiah cried out in the temple, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So can you see God or can't you? No one's ever seen God, but yet people describe themselves in the Bible as seeing God. And we also know the Bible talks about God all throughout the Psalms, for example. He has eyes, he has ears, he has a mouth, he has a face, he has hands, he has feet, and so forth. So, can we see God, or can't we? Now, as a spirit, God is, as I just said a moment ago, inherently invisible. He's God, we're not. The answer to to those sort of seemingly contradictory verses is this. That that God, at times, of his own choosing, has revealed himself in some way that his people could understand him and even see what they described as God. In 
And so God describes himself oftentimes, he reveals himself oftentimes as a man so that we can have some relation to him. He has eyes and ears. He hears our prayers. He walks amongst us and so forth so that we can understand him and relate to him better. He revealed himself in pillars of cloud and fire so that the Israelites during the day would see protection from Pharaoh's chariots and at night have a way to follow after God and have, a, and, and have safety. He revealed himself in visions. He, he wrestled, we saw, with Jacob. Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, whatever that is. Why? So that his people could have some visible token of his presence. Some, what we call, condescension. God stooping down to our level to make himself known. So God in himself cannot be seen unless God of himself decides to reveal himself. Whether in words describing God with mouth and ears and eyes and so forth, like a human being, whether in some kind of vision, some kind of a dream, or even in a physical manifestation like that man who wrestled with Jacob or those three men who, who appeared to Abraham at his tent and so forth. But most importantly, of course, as our passage here tells us, yet yes, no one has ever seen God, but yet the one who's always been at his side, the father's side, that is, the son, who has now taken upon himself human flesh so that he could be touched and seen and walked amongst and talked with, First John 1 says. He has made the father known. He has made the father known. And, and uh, this root word that is translated here uh, as making him known, uh, it it's, it's the word that speaks of explaining. It's the word that we get exegesis from. To explain God, to make him understandable, to make him revealed to us. The Son of God has revealed the Father. That's why he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God's invisible in himself, in his essence, in his being. That's who God is. But yet... The Son of God has taken upon himself human flesh. He was touched. He was seen. He was walked with. He, was eat, uh, he ate with. He slept next to. He wept. He wiped away tears and so forth so that we can have a sense of who God is and we can know through the Son, we can know the Father. So God's invisible. God's invisible because he's a spirit. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that God is invisible? How does it benefit us? How does it help us as God's children? To know that God is invisible. Let me just give you two, two little reasons as we, uh, before we close. Two reasons why it's important to know that God is invisible. Two ways in which it benefits us. First of all this. Because God is invisible, we must know and serve and worship him only as he reveals himself to us. Because God is invisible, we have to know him and serve him and worship him only as he reveals himself to us. Because the, an invisible God uh, who, who cannot be seen, and in a sense then cannot be known, how can we serve him and, and worship him and know him rightly unless he reveals himself to us? There's an old story that says a teacher once told her class to draw 
and to color a picture of anything that they wanted to. Draw a picture and color it in. Anything you can imagine. Your favorite thing, whatever it is. Draw it and color it. And then she went around the class, walking around to every desk and looking at all the, all the students' pictures and uh, all their coloring uh, and asking questions and, and being impressed by and just being generally curious about it. And she walked up to Johnny and she came up to, uh, to Johnny's desk and said, well, Johnny, what are you drawing? And he said, God. The teacher replied, nobody knows what God looks like. Guess what Johnny said? They're all going to know when I'm finished. <laughs> That's how we act, right? We, we, we turn God into a, an image of our own imagination. It's a silly little story, but it illustrates to us the need for us to rely upon God's revelation of himself. God's got to reveal himself to us in his word. And that's why we read it again in, in John 1 verse 18, that the eternal son of God has revealed to us the father. How can we know a God who is invisible? How can we serve a God who is invisible? How can we worship him rightly? He's given us 66 scrolls and letters describing himself, describing his love for us. How can we serve a God who is invisible by following the way of life that he reveals for us in his word that our Lord Jesus Christ lived in real time and space and history? How can you and I serve a God who is invisible? God tells us in his word how to worship him. For example, in the first commandment, God tells us the right God to worship. We're to worship him alone. In the second commandment, he tells us how we're to do that by telling us how not to negatively. No pictures, no images. That is to say, worship God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus says. And so we have a very word-centered religion as, as Christians, as Protestants, as Reformed Protestants. Uh, this morning in our, in our new members class, we didn't talk about that exactly, but we talked about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Protestant, what it means to be Reformed. And a part of that is to have a very word-centered religion. It's important to remember this, again, to remember this in the time in which we live. Uh, it's not about just saying that we believe the Bible, but demonstrating that in deeds. That's demonstrated in the way, that, in, the way in which we preach, uh, by, by reading the Word and trying to explain the Word. So, it's important to confess that God's invisible, because the Bible says it, obviously, but it's important, practically speaking, because we can only serve and love and know and worship God in the way in which he reveals himself, that he discloses himself to us in words and in, and in the deeds of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, this is important for us because God, uh, uh, to say, because God is invisible, and of course the Father and the Holy Spirit are invisible to us, the Son became visible, but yet we can't see him right now. He's ascended. And so because God is invisible, either in himself or because Christ is absent from us in his human nature, because of that we long to see him. We long to see him. Jesus revealed the Father in his person. We've seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of God. He revealed the Father in his words. Verse 18, verse 18 again, he's made the Father known to us. 
He's revealed the Father to us in his works, by his miracles, by his signs, by his wonders, by his healing. But after he ascended back into heaven, we don't have him right here in our midst in his walking, talking, human form. No, do we? So we have an invisible God who's was made visible in Jesus Christ, but yet who's now once again invisible to us. So what are we to do about that? Let's turn over to 1 Peter quickly. Chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter number 1. And he's speaking here, he's blessing God, he's praising God, verse 3, that uh, this great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he's caused us to be born again, he's given us new birth, he's regenerated us, to a living hope through Christ's resurrection unto an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this, this inheritance is being preserved for us. And at the same time, we are by God's power down here on earth being guarded through faith for that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And he says in verse 6, in this, in that last time, in that revelation of God's inheritance for us his saints, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, speaking here of the time between the ascension and the second coming, a little while, he calls it. Yet now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's speaking here of what's to come for us. We, re, we have new hope. We have new life already. But yet we long for more. We want the final uh, reality of all that it is to, to know Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 8, and, and all that's going to happen when he returns, right? Verse 8 though. Though you have not seen him. He's speaking here to Christians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, a generation after the Lord Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now, notice that, now see him, because we will see him one day. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This age between Christ's ascension and his coming is an age of not seeing Jesus. But it's an age of hope, isn't it? He describes it here as a hope, a hope to see Jesus. And Paul tells us in Romans 8 that, uh, speaking of the redemption of our bodies, Our souls are redeemed, but our bodies, of course, will be buried. But one day they too will be redeemed. He says this, in this hope we were saved. Now hope hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's this hope of our faith turning to sight. Of the dim mirror turning to -to face-to-face sight that God's invisibility should create in us. 
And that pinnacle of our Christian hope is what our forefathers called the, the blessed vision. At the end of our Bibles, we read this famous line, they will see his face. They will, they will see his face. We don't see him now, but they will see his face. Whose face? Whose face will we see in that state of eternity? Who are we going to see face to face in the new heavens and new earth? Jesus. Jesus, the eternal, invisible Son of God, made human flesh. And that's why John tells us in 1 John 3, we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. Why do we know that? Because we shall see him as he is. And so the more you come to see your God in this life through Scripture and the sacraments made visible and audible to you, the more you should be seeking to grow to see him in the face of Christ in eternity. He's invisible, yes, but he's given us just enough to keep us until that day when he, when he reveals himself to us face to face. One, of, one hymn puts it like this, Only faintly now I see him with the darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Let's give God thanks that, yes, he is invisible, and that should cause in us a desire to serve him and know him according to his word and to long to see him even more face to face with our very eyes. Amen. Let's turn back together on the order of service and...